Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to this program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to be taking a look at the life, or short life, I should say, of a very famous person who had a tremendous impact on the United States foreign policy, and that's George Kennan. I guess today is an expert on this topic. I guess today is Dr. Frank Castigliola, who is a distinguished professor of history at the University of Connecticut. His most recent book is Kennan, A Life Between Worlds. Dr. Castigliola, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Well, thank you, Bill. It's really a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you being with me today. I mentioned George Kennan. And again, if you're in the foreign policy area or read international relations, that type of thing, one would be familiar with him. But it's not he's not a household name. Who was George Kennan? And why did you write this book about him? Well, actually, George Kennan, I see I'm a I'm attuned to this, but George Kennan's name appears in front page stories of the New York Times, I'd say an average of every other week. I mean, he's he is someone when you when you talk about uh, re- particularly relations with Russia, uh, he's a person that is is pretty famous. Now he's famous for uh, basically two things, which are kind of contradictory in a way, but they do make sense. And we could we could explore why they do make sense. First of all, he's famous for uh, enunciating in 1946-47 a policy of containment of containing Soviet expansion after World War II, and the idea of containment was. I mean, after the World War II alliance fell apart, uh, some Americans feared that we had two bad choices with regard to Russian expansion. Either the United States could accept that Russian expansion into other countries, or the United States would have to go to war. Kennan said no. There was a third possibility to contain the Russians, to limit their further expansion, primarily through limited through political and economic measures like the Marshall Plan. Yes, he certainly did, and he made a tremendous impact. And of course, if we think back to the 40s, let's say the World War II ended, I guess, August of 45. The UN was created June 26, 1945, just a little before that. You had a situation where there there was some, I guess there was the situation where they were very happy about what was going on to some degree, but there were still dark clouds looming on the horizon. And of course, if we look back to uh, the founding of the United Nations, and that was set up to eliminate the scourge of war, to promote economic and social development, and to enhance human rights. But shortly thereafter, the Cold War started, and that was not one that was conducive to to neighborly relations amongst the various countries of the world, especially the former Soviet Union and the United States. So was it in that setting that uh, Kennan came up with this? Right, that's that's very 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 much the case. Uh, so as relations between the United States and Soviet Union deteriorated as the World War II alliance that they had had fell apart, 
Kennan promoted this idea of containing the Russians rather than going to war with them or accepting their expansion. Uh, but it's also important, I think, to, under, to understand Kennan <clears throat> that after Kennan also believed that after the Russians were contained, after the U.S. put into effect things like the Marshall Plan and NATO, then Kennan said it was important to move beyond containment to negotiate with the Russians to reduce tensions and try to arrive at some kind of permanent compromise. Kennan, and this is where he differed, differed from other many other policymakers, Ken, U.S. policymakers. Kennan did not believe that the Cold War should just go on indefinitely. He was uncomfortable with the Cold War because he thought basically the Cold War could turn into a hot war and that would be bad for everyone. The, one other thing here, you mentioned the clouds, that uh, over, over the overcast clouds after World War II ended, one, in 1945, one of those clouds was a mushroom cloud. What Kennan was worried about was the prospect of nuclear war. It certainly was worrisome then and still is today. We're still living with it, unfortunately. That's, yeah, that's why I think in a way that the danger is more now, greater now than it has been uh, since the end of the Cold War in the last 25 years. The danger is worse now than the past 30 years. Yeah. One one important thing, well, you mentioned several important things, but one in particular was that Kennan was a believer in dialogue, in communicating with your enemies. You just didn't stonewall them, isolate them, contain them, and walk away from them and hope everything would work out. So uh, there, unfortunately, we have some people today who are really hardliners. They just yep. don't want to discuss with the Chinese or the Russians or, or anybody else what's going on and how to, uh, as uh, Anthony Blinken said, to basically walk back some of the tensions to right. de-escalate that's, is what I'm saying. Right, that's very true. And Kennan was a, was a diplomat by profession. He was a diplomat. Mm -hmm. And he believed in the efficacy, the utility of slow, patient, secret negotiations by professional diplomats to arrive at eventual compromises. Uh, as Kennan put it, what seems at the beginning like irreconcilable differences, wide divergences, he said is just the asking price in a long bargaining process of diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Now, there were two things that I picked up out of your book. Uh, one was uh, that he had written a long telegram to the State Department in 1946. And then, of course, his article under the pseudonym X, which was published in for the Foreign Affairs magazine in 1947. Is this where the containment really came to the surface? That's right. Surface? Uh, Kennan, Kennan in February 1946 was basically an obscure second-in-command second diplomat in far-off Moscow. And he sent to the State Department, it was Washington's birthday, 1946, sent the longest telegram ever sent to the State Department, over almost 6,000 words, in which he laid out this policy of containment. And it was also a bid, I mean, it's complicated, but it was also a bid by Kennan to get the heck out of Moscow and get a promotion and get, you know, a position of greater responsibility. And that succeeded because by, um, he was brought back from Moscow soon after uh, February 46. And a year later, by May 1947, Kennan was appointed by Secretary of State George Marshall, the first uh, director of the new agency of the State Department, the policy planning staff. So Kennan, as a young man of like then 44, his, his purview is all of U.S. foreign policy, long-range planning for all of U.S. foreign policy. It was quite a promotion in, in the space of a year and a few months. 
Now, he he was very clairvoyant to a large degree, I think, as far as being able to come up with this particular approach to dealing with the former Soviet Union and the United States, and especially during this Cold War period. But was, was he well-respected in the State Department, or how was he perceived as he went through his career? Well, that's, that's a very key question, Bill. I mean, good thing you, you pointed that out. So Kennan rose very quickly. He rose as a young man, even before when he was in Moscow. He rose faster in the State Department, rose in rank faster than anyone in his age cohort because he was a hard worker and he, he was brilliant. And then he has this jump in influence from February 46 to May 47 when he becomes head of the policy planning staff. And there was a lot of resentment by some of his colleagues who's, you know, this Kennan guy is, Sure, he's talented. He knows the Russians better than anyone. But you know, you know, there's jealousy. There was jealousy there, um, and then so that was one element, the jealousy. And then, Kennan, as I said before, Kennan regarded containment as an if-then proposition. If the Russians are contained, which he felt they were by institution of the Marshall Plan and NATO, if the Russians are contained, then it's time to move on to negotiation. That idea of the then moving on to negotiation ran counter to that of the ideas of most of the people in the State Department, Secretary of State Dean Acheson under Truman, Secretary of State John Forster Dulles under Eisenhower, and so forth. People who found these other people, like D Acheson and Dulles, found this, the Cold War not a bad situation. I mean, it, it, it kind of clarified issues. Uh, it kept the American people and our allies believing, you know, pulling pulling uh, in, united in the struggle, and they didn't see any reason why we had to negotiate with the Russians. We were largely ahead on most things, so why negotiate? Uh, so that divergence in policy is what I think led to Kennan's losing influence in Washington. And then it's, it's a long story there, but that's basically the bottom line. The jealousy first, and then the differences in policy. And one of the great things about looking back at some of these great thinkers and some of the concepts that they've come with, come up with is to see how they applied them at 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and what can we do today to apply the same <laughs> techniques. And I'm just thinking just a few places along the way. Uh, if we think back to 1962 with the Cuban Missile Crisis, we right. came as close to a nuclear annihilation as we probably ever have. Now, there have been at least 12 reported almost accidents where we had an, an exchange, some type of nuclear exchange with the former Soviet Union or with some other uh, nuclear power. But did his thinking contribute or was was he plugged into the uh, the embargo of the Soviet ships and that type of thing? No, not really. No, he, was, he, was in, he was an ambassador at that point, ambassador to Yugoslavia. And he had tried to cultivate kind of a back channel through the Russian ambassador to Yugoslavia, but that was shut down by Secretary of State Dean Rusk. So basically, Kennan did not play any role in the Cuban Missile Crisis. But I should add that, as you're pointing out, the Cuban Missile Crisis was extremely dangerous, and it ended without our getting, the reason you and I are able to talk here today is that Kennedy pursued diplomacy. He, in the end, struck a deal with the Russians there was a compromise, more of a compromise than people at the time realized because Kennedy agreed, made the concession of removing U.S. missiles from Turkey, which was kept secret at first for a long exactly. time. 
But, uh, which he, but anyway, he was, it was dipl diplomacy which ended the crisis. Exactly. And we were going to take the missiles out of Turkey anyway, so it wasn't a, right. a great concession, so it didn't really amount to... I mean, it was important at the time, symbolically, very important. Allowed but, the, the Russians to save face. Exactly, to save face. That is so critical, yes. And that, that's the thing that so often we overlook. Uh, we hear about the United Nations and how things move so slowly diplomatically at the UN with the Security Council and how you've got five permanent members who can veto uh, binding resolutions that come before. But the UN has played a critical role very quietly in helping to diffuse many of these problems. And some foreign affairs specialists, who can, we can't prove it, really believe that if it hadn't been for the the actual creation of the United Nations, we would have probably been in World War III by now, or at least very close to it. And so many of these really delicate situations were helped to be diffused at the UN, especially in 62 with the Cuban Missile Crisis and with many other activities. But this is something why we have to focus on diplomacy. And one last thing before I forget it, John F. Kennedy ignored the advice of his military advisors. As I recall, they wanted to go to war. We'll go in, we'll take it out. Not to worry where we heard that before. Vietnam, where we heard it, Iraq a couple of times, Afghanistan. So it, it, it is not something we need to just accept their advice uh, at face value. Need right, to right. Because military didn't realize, no one realized that the Russians already had nuclear weapons tactical nuclear weapons installed in Cuba, and they would have been used if the U.S. had, had invaded Cuba as a, or bombed Cuba as the as the American military advised. You're right. And also, just in, you mentioned Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq. Kennan, who lived to be 101, died only in 2005. Kennan uh, came out against each of those three interventions because they thought they were contrary to American national interest. And we've come to find out that they probably were. They were. <laughs> he may have been right on that one. He was. He's, he was right. He certainly was. Yes, that's exactly right. Now, wars are easy to get into and very difficult to get out of. And we never know what the unintended consequences are. And that's why we have to take the, the diplomatic route first. It may be that it will not be productive. It may be that something else may have to be done, but we just have to do that. And then you worry about some other alternative a, a little bit later. Well, as you, you you're very familiar with uh, George Kennan and with uh, his philosophy and his containment, how would he apply some of his, uh, I guess, uh, theories or whatever to today's situation? Would would he be involved in trying to defuse the uh, illegal invasion of of uh, Ukraine by Vladimir Putin? Uh, would would that apply in this particular situation? Well, actually, Kennan Kennan is uh, his that's one reason Kennan's name has been coming up recently in the New York Times and Foreign Affairs and elsewhere, because mm -hmm. Kennan uh, at the age of ninety four this is in nineteen ninety seven at the age of of ninety four, um, Kennan came out strongly um, against the eastward expansion of NATO. He had he had friends in the Bill Clinton administration, and he argued to them that. Of course, countries like Poland and later Latvia, Lithuania would like to join NATO. But Kennan argued that's like poking a stick at the Russians in their backyard. And that Kennan argued that expanding NATO eastward, which the Russians expected, you know, the deal, the deal when Germany was reunified in 1991, um, 
or the, when they called, excuse me, 1990, when the, Germany was reunified, the deal was that NATO would not expand, as the saying had it, not, not another inch eastward. That was, the that was a verbal pledge by the Americans. That was certainly the understanding of Gorbachev and the other Russians. And then when NATO began expanding eastward, Russians, not just Yeltsin and later Putin, but ordinary Russians, felt they had been betrayed. Okay, so Kennan argued against the eastward expansion of NATO, and that's that's not the only that doesn't justify that does not justify Putin's invasion of Ukraine. But that's part of the background of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and a reason why that war is has the degree of popularity that it does have in Russia. That many Russians feel that the West has betrayed the pledge it made after the end of the Cold War. I mean, that's the belief, that's the concrete reality that US policy really has to deal with. Exactly, and there are at least two presidents who promised not to encroach on Russia, and we did do that, it was very threatening, and they were surrounded. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or a community access television station, or you have a, we're with an educational institution that you have an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a very, very creative and very unique person who helped shape U.S. foreign policy, and that is George Kennan. My guest today is an expert on him. My guest today is Dr. Frank Castiglioli, who is a distinguished professor of history at the University of Connecticut. His most recent book is Kennan, a life between worlds. We're talking about George Kennan and the role that he played. And he did, he, he was uh, an oversized player, I guess, to some degree in helping us to, to move towards diplomatic approaches to dealing with some of these problems. But let me ask you, what, uh, how would he deal or what would he think today as we look at the situation with China? We see some of the, the war hawks rattling the sabers, ready to go to war with China. Uh, it, it's almost bipartisan when you go to Washington and talk to some of these folks, but they're getting a little bit uh, over their skis to some degree, in my, in my opinion. Anyway, but how would he deal with this as far as helping to de-escalate, as Secretary of State Antony Blinken said, the tensions between China and the United States? Well, it's interesting, you know, Kennan died in 2005, but as early as the 1990s, Kennan was in his diary and in other venues was saying, look, the Chinese are highly nationalistic people. The United States should be careful in its dealings with China. China Kennan also believed that it'd be dangerous for the United States to become economically dependent on China. So Kennan's idea was that the United States should respect China, but not get too closely involved and certainly not become dependent on China, as I said, economically. Now, as to what he would do today, of course, we, we don't know. But based on his overall principles, 
Ken and I'm sure would advocate that the United States, in addition to the Janet Yellen mission, which is going on right now, in addition to Blinken's talks, that the, he would, I'm sure he would advocate that the United States maintain lower level, secret, ongoing talks with the Chinese to try to iron out differences, try to make sure that there's no drift toward war to, uh, and there's no uh, unnecessary misunderstanding, okay? And that's the purpose of diplomacy. Ken would also, I think, um, this gets into the, the weeds here a little bit, Ken would also question America's uh, current uh, status, current uh, military stance, which is that the U.S. should exercise military predominance in the waters right off of the China China coast. I mean, one thing we should keep in mind, regardless of Kennan, one thing we should keep in mind is that U.S. policy, U.S. official policy enunciated over and over again since 1949, when the Chinese communists took over China and Chiang Kai-shek, the nationalist leader that led to uh, Taiwan, U.S. policy has been since 1949, what's called the one China policy, that Taiwan is part of China. That's been U.S. policy. China, Taiwan is not independent according to U.S. policy, and but it's part of China. But the U.S. says, and I think this is legitimate and good, the U.S. says, well, we don't favor forcible or you know warlike uh, mainland takeover of Taiwan. And the actual status of this not independent, not um, but yet not total part of China uh, policy is ambiguity. And that's that was U.S. policy for many decades. That ambiguity is something that I think is being lost today, because if if it becomes a clear cut issue, is China independent? Excuse me, is Taiwan independent or not? Then that's that's a cause for war. So the ambiguity and fudging the difference is what worked for decades. It certainly has, and hopefully it will for decades to go. It, uh, we certainly do not want a war with China, that's for sure. Right. And yeah. one thing to keep in mind is that war is a two-way street. I think some of these hawks in Washington seem to think, right. that, well, we can beat up on the Chinese, we can do, uh, exercise our power in the, far, in the Western Pacific, but there's no repercussions against us. But guess what? They have intercontinental ballistic missiles. They have, you know, they can certainly attack the United States, wreck good parts of the United States. I mean, do we really want that? Is that really what we want? Exactly. And not to mention they can wreck economies right. around the world to a large degree because they right. do have some friends working with them, but they don't want to wreck their economy. Right. Hopefully, I get that impression. We don't want to wreck ours, but the idea is to keep the dialogue going and to reduce the tensions. That's the thing, because when you're not talking to people, you just you there there is so much of an opportunity to have a misunderstanding and to bumble into war, which is exactly right. what we don't want to do. And I was it Sir Win, uh, Winston Churchill who said, "Better to jaw jaw than war war." Right. And right. He, he certainly it, was. It's also useful to kind of put the shoe on the other foot, and not right. that, not that there's a complete equivalence here, but think of how would the United States react if. Uh, China had extensive naval forces in the Caribbean. Okay, exactly. We, that's our that's our back that's our you know front yard backyard whatever. Um, that is the the waters around China are are similar to them. They're, they're a great power. We have to recognize that. Uh, we, they, that doesn't mean the United States is not the most powerful country in the world, but we cannot be all powerful every place at the same time. Exactly. We're we're definitely living in a multipolar world to that's a large right. degree. And we have to recognize it. 
and you can't dominate every square inch of the planet. You right. just, it's impossible. Well, we can't afford it. And we see what's happening now. I, I don't know if we're going to get into the budget, the defense budget, but it, that thing just gets more and more bloated every year. It's going to hit a trillion dollars, you know, within a year or so. It's close exactly. to a trillion dollars now. Exactly. That's exactly right. And this country cannot afford it, nor can the Chinese in all probability. Right. But that's, we'll have to come back and talk about that at a later date, I guess. Well, before we run out of time, and we're just about there, I noticed you had written a book, Roosevelt's Lost Alliances. Uh, just out of curiosity, Franklin Roosevelt was the, basically the creator of the United Nations. He died a few weeks before the UN came online in June of 1945. What what was uh, just a brief highlight of the Roosevelt's Lost Alliances? What well, I, was- that ties in, actually, I'm glad you asked that question, Bill, because that ties in with your, our previous discussion. Very briefly, Roosevelt, above all, uh, focused on the Security Council of the UN, not the General Assembly. General Assembly was one nation, one vote, fine to talk about things, but the power, Roosevelt believed, should be in the Security Council, which meant agreement among the great powers or collaboration among the great powers. And also, this is important as we run out of time, that basically a spheres of influence, division of power around the globe, that each of the major powers, the British, the Americans, uh, and the Russians and so forth, each of them would kind of have, be kind of the, the, the sheriff on, on its beat around the world. The United States was the most powerful, but still it would not try to dominate every area of the world. That was Roosevelt's vision. A multipolar world. Exactly. That's that's certainly the way it was. The winners of World War II divide up the world. And Roosevelt thought that was practical. And not, that doesn't yeah. mean small nations yeah. don't have rights, but you need the big powers to agree or else there's going to be trouble. Exactly. Well, Dr. Frank Castiglioli, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. And congratulations on your latest book. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here, Bill. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining me on Global Connections Television. <laughs>